we are continuing in our series, Kingdom Manifesto, which I am super excited about. We're going to be in this series until the end of May. I don't know if you guys are the type to get bored with a series, but you're stuck with it. And so this is what we're doing, and I'm super excited about it because it's one of the most important uh, sermons that we're teaching out of that's ever been taught. Not my own sermon, uh, but the sermon that Jesus taught, which is called the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Kingdom Manifesto and the Sermon on the Mount, we see Jesus teaching through chapters 5 through 7 in the book of Matthew. And if you have your Bibles with, it, with you, you can go ahead and crack that open to the book of Matthew. Now, that's the first book in the New Testament, super easy to find. And in Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is presenting his objectives for his earthly ministry and ultimately what his aims and ideals are for his heavenly kingdom. His heavenly kingdom in future eternity realm, his heavenly kingdom as, it, as he brings it to earth as well. And Jesus is calling us to an obedient followership. Jesus is calling us to be sincere disciples that lay our lives down for the call of Christ. There is a call, but it's not just a list of do's and don'ts. We can get the impression sometimes that Jesus is wanting us to just do things in order to be approved, if you will. And that's not the heart of Jesus. As a matter of fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, that's one of his biggest goals is to really express what his heart is and we're going to learn not only the heart of Jesus, we're going to learn the heart of his kingdom, the kingdom of God. Now, chapter 6, verse 1 through 24, we're actually seeing Jesus kind of bring some understanding to that heart. And he's holding in those verses intention, something that he first said in chapter 5. And these are the two things that he said. He said, as disciples, ultimately, our actions should look different than the world around us. We should be set apart. We should be distinct. And people should see it. But we have to hold intention that we need to also evaluate the deeper motivations of our actions and that we not actually do the things that he calls us to do in order to be seen, right? And so we see that tension expressed in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, where he says, Let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So we're to be seen, that our good works are to be visible, ultimately for the glory of God. Now he holds that intention. We want to be seen, right, with Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, where he says, Beware, however, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So he talks about a reward, and I want you to put that in your pocket. We're going to revisit that in a little while. But what we see is that we're to do good works in order to be seen, but we're to not do good works with the motivation of being seen. See, when we live our lives as followers of Jesus, his intent is that anything that we do, any act of service, any act of kindness, any good deed, whatever it is that we do, it's not in order to be seen, but it's in order for him to be seen, for him to get the glory. Our lives are to be lived for God's glory, not the attention and praise of man. And so because our hearts, some of us struggle to accept this reality, our hearts are sinful. It's not that we're sinners, we're saints. But we're saints that still deal with sinful hearts, right? Because our hearts are still sinful, we have this tendency, this nature to want to be seen to elevate ourselves rather than elevating God. And so we've got to continually ask God to measure the motivation of our hearts to know that they're pure. 
And so that's just a quick summary overview of some of the things that we've been talking about. If you want a more thorough look at what we've been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount, you can go to northwood.church slash podcast select Ocean Springs, and you can follow all of the sermons that we've preached so far. And uh, it'll be a really good opportunity for you to really catch the heart of what's going on. But, but what you'll learn as you do that is that at the end of the day, Jesus wants us to understand that the kingdom of God really is a matter of the heart. And today, we're going to talk about the heart of devotion. But before we do, I'd like to pray. Father, we just thank you uh, that you're here with us, that you love us, that you're faithful. God, that you even want to reward us. And God, as we, as we explore your word and what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to, to walk our salvation out in fear and trembling for your glory and for the good of others and the expansion of your kingdom, God, would you just, would you just speak to our hearts? Would you show us anything in us that is impure? Would you affirm those things in us, God, that, that you're pleased with? God, would you help us to mature in you, in Christ? God, would you help us to, to see your will for our lives and that we would be faithful to, to submit to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. So today, the heart of devotion, that word devotion, uh, you may have heard that before. Uh, we actually touched on it just a little bit last week, uh, but... You're going to see more clearly in Acts chapter 2, which is three years after Jesus is teaching this sermon. He's already gone on the cross, died, been resurrected, ascended to sit at the right hand of the Father, and has sent his Holy Spirit. And now the New Testament church filled with the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus, sincere in their faith, they're devoted to some things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of the word. They devoted themselves to the fellowship to being together, to the breaking of bread, that's the Lord's Supper, and I think there might have been a little hospitality happening there as well, and to the prayer. They just had a devoted lifestyle where they were devoted to the things of God, and we see in some other places in the scripture that they would have been devoted to things like what Jesus is going to talk about today in this verse selection that we have. And he's going to break into a topic uh, on fasting. Jesus is going to teach us about fasting, but he's teaching us less about the practice of fasting and more about the heart of fasting. Now, I'm going to kind of give a quick overview as to how I understand fasting based on the things I see in the Word. Fasting, ultimately, it's a spiritual practice of abstaining from food. We also see in the Bible that there's maybe some abstaining from water as well. Uh, there's also some, an instance where we're instructed if fasting, that the only time that we would, as spouses, withhold ourselves from one another is during a time of fasting, right? And so there's a couple specific reasons in the scripture that we see fasting, but generally it's thought of as a fasting from food, things that give nourishment. And while we're fasting, we devote our time to draw closer to God. And during that time, we'd seek him in prayer. We'd seek him through meditation on his word. We'd seek him through just waiting and listening, hearing, trying to hear from God what he might have for us, and ultimately lifting up praise. Maybe we'll put on some worship music. Maybe we'll, you know, they might have had some timbrels and cymbals and stuff going on during this time. I, I don't know. Maybe some stringed instruments. But, but we, we would put on maybe some worship music, and we worship as we fast from these other things that would ordinarily satisfy our bodies. But more broadly, fasting is just a denial of fleshly desire. It's kind of simple. As a matter of fact, contemporary fasting, we see a lot of people just denying a lot of different things. Now, I'm going to share something with you that I don't intend to, like, 
you know, draw attention to me because that's not the purpose of, of me sharing this with you. But more so, I, I want to share this with you as an example of something I'm currently fasting from um, because I, I think it's, it's a good testimony of what God's doing in my life in this time right now. I'm fasting from social media right now. I've been off social media since uh, the week in between Christmas and New Year's. I haven't been on. I've got a couple links for some groups. I just save them in my notepad. I go jump on those groups every now and then just to kind of stay up to date with people I care about on social media. But more importantly than the fact that I'm off social media is what's happening in my heart because I'm off social media. I wake up with more hunger to be in the Word of God, to be in God's presence. I wake up with a heart to pray and seek the face of God. I wake up with more love in my heart for my wife. I wake up with more love in my heart for my kids. I have more love in my heart for you. And I have more margin in my mind, more space in my emotions to pray for you and to believe for you. And I know some people are like, well, yeah, but I like when you like my stuff. I don't like when you put the little heart on there or comment on my stuff, you know. I like that. And I'm like, if you knew what God's doing in my heart as I'm able to now spend less time distracted with all of the myriads of people and things that are on social media and focus solely on the people that God's put right in front of me, you'd actually be glad that I'm not liking and commenting on your stuff because what I'm doing is much more profitable. And, and so this is an example of how we can deny something for the sake of building up our spirit man, deny the flesh to be built up in the spirit. And that's what fasting is all about. Now, last week we talked about prayer. And uh, Andrew Murray, he's a, a classical theologian, uh, said this about prayer. Prayer is reaching out after the unseen. So we're praying, right, and, and we're believing for things that are not yet or maybe are in, in the eternal realm, and we're asking God to bring breakthrough so that they, they, we experience them in heaven. We're, we're praying and asking God for the unseen to, to manifest itself in our lives. That's prayer. Fasting, Andrew Murray continues, is letting go of all that is seen and temporal or temporary. So whatever I can see, whatever I can touch, whatever, if it's got a hold on me in any sort of capacity, I let go of that and then pray to reach out for the unseen, right? And he continues, fasting helps express, deepen, and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, even ourselves, to attain what we seek for the kingdom of God. I love how he orients the purpose of prayer and fasting towards attaining something for the benefit of the kingdom of God. That, that's an that's a important motivation of the heart, you know. And that's what this series is all about. Now, Jesus modeled it. You know, right before Jesus came out and taught the Sermon on the Mount, uh, right before he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand and went about healing, right before that, Jesus was baptized in the river. The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The Father, with a voice from heaven, says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And Jesus is then sent by the Holy Spirit out to the wilderness. Way to start your ministry, right? Out to the wilderness to go be tempted by the enemy. And while he's out there, he's seeking the face of God. Just no distractions. Man, he's removed people. He's removed anything that could possibly draw his attention or his affection away from what God's wanted to do in his heart. And he's fasting from food. And the enemy comes and approaches Jesus and says, if you're really who you say you are, you can turn that stone into bread and satisfy your hunger. And Jesus says, Psh, get behind me, Satan. He didn't literally say that. But he said, man shall not eat by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. 
He resisted the enemy's temptation while he's fasting and said, no, I'm going to depend on the word. I'm going to depend on God's promises. But he had to get in that place to be fortified in that because Jesus was not only 100% God but also 100% man. And just like Jesus, we too need the, the same discipline and the same practice in our lives. In the wilderness, Jesus crucified his flesh, his desires, his passions, and that set him up, I think, for success to later crucify his flesh on that cross. And then you know what we're called to as believers, as followers of Jesus? We're called to also crucify our flesh. Galatians 5.24 says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. All of those things that we have appetite for. All of those things that draw our heart away from God and towards them. Or maybe they don't quite draw our heart away from God because the enemy is much more subtle than that. Maybe it's less drawing our heart away from God and more just giving us something else that's even good that begins to slowly take the place of God in our, in our affections and our desires. And we're to crucify our flesh, we're to crucify our passions and desires. And when we fast, we gain strength over the appetites of the sinful flesh. That's the benefit of fasting. When did you last fast? Don't answer. And this isn't intended to be condemning either. First off, some people don't know about fasting. Second of all, some people haven't necessarily sensed maybe the compulsion of the Holy Spirit or God saying, hey, I want you to fast now. And, and then some of us are just resistant towards it because, man, it really is not fun. <laughs> but it still begs the question, if it's so beneficial and helps us to crucify our fleshly desires, when's the last time you fasted? If you fast, if you lean into a, a time of fasting and prayer, I can guarantee you that God will give you revelation about who he is and who he says you are and revelation about what he's wanting to do in your life. It might take time. It might take multiple fasts over time. I'm not saying it will happen immediately. It's a, it's a discipline that we cultivate. But you'll get revelation. You'll get wisdom from God. Man, you might get healing it's not guaranteed, but you may get healing. We see in the scripture, as a matter of fact, that, that some deliverance and some healing only comes by prayer and fasting, not just the laying on of hands, not just medicine. Sometimes we've got to fast that away from our lives. And so the question again is, when's the last time you fast for something important? When we fast, we can get breakthrough. A lot of times we pray for breakthrough. God, I just need some breakthrough in this area of my life, you know. And I, I wonder, you know, what we're really praying are we praying like that God would just, you know, move difficulty out of our way? Sometimes it feels that way, you know. God, would you just help me get through this hard season to get to the next season that I know I'm going to enjoy more? Or God, would you this? Or God, would you that? We're praying for breakthrough. But really, breakthrough, the way I understand breakthrough, is that space where the eternal realm literally and supernaturally breaks through the natural realm and we see the kingdom of God manifest its blessing and power in our lives. And oftentimes it's through fasting and prayer that God gives us breakthrough. Now, fasting began as a sign of humility before God. But unfortunately, because of the sinful nature of man, it became a sign of self-righteousness. And this is where we get into what Jesus teaches us about fasting. In verse 16 of chapter 6, Jesus says, When you fast, not if, but when. There's an assumption on Jesus' part here that you will fast at some point. When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. 
Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. There's that word again, reward. Now, what people would do, and some of it started with humility, like I just said, but it also became a very self-righteous act where people would pour ash on themselves and, and wear sackcloth, and it would be this almost like this lamenting experience in regards to their fasting, and maybe there was an appropriate time for lament. Uh, but they would do that, or they wouldn't shave, or they wouldn't bathe. They were fasting, and it was a time where, where they were supposed to be, you know, recognized as setting themselves apart from any of the creature comforts of life, any of the things that would cause them to, to be distracted from God. And they wanted to be visible. A lot of people wanted to be visible and seen. They were showboating their spirituality. And, and Jesus is wanting to remind those people in the audience that might have had that tendency that this spiritual discipline, this heart of devotion, it's not about what others think about you as much as it is a humbling practice that causes us to come before God and display our need for him. Setting apart our need of anything else and saying, God, I need you and you alone. And as Jesus calls us to this heart of devotion, this life of devotion to God, he clarifies more about what the heart of fasting is. In verse 17, he says, but when you fast, anoint your head, right? It would have kind of had maybe some olive oil infused with some lavender, some vanilla, you know, something nice, something, you know, that you might put on in the morning. You might spray a little John Barbatos on your, you know, get a little cologne or whatever, it, it, like, don't, don't act like you're gloomy and, you know, a mess because you're fasting. Look, get cleaned up. Wash your face. That your fasting may not be seen by others, but that it, it might be seen by your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. There it is again. You know that commercial from Orbit? I love it. Dirty mouth. Clean it up. <laughs> like, I literally have a piece of orbit in my mouth right now. I'm like, that's hilarious. It, it's kind of what Jesus is saying here. Don't walk around with a dirty mouth trying to let people see that you're so spiritually pious. Clean it up. Get your act together. Don't draw attention to yourself. God sees what you're doing. And so we see this theme emerging here. When God sees what we're doing in that secret place, he rewards us. And Jesus speaks about these heavenly rewards. And in, in chapter 5, verse 12, he said, those who are persecuted, he says they'll be blessed, right? Remember the Beatitudes? But he not only says they'll be blessed, but he says their reward will be in heaven. There's a heavenly reward. In chapter 6, verse 4, he says those who are generous in secret where their father sees them, their reward will be in heaven. He sees in says in chapter 6, verse 6, those who pray with the proper motivation of the heart, their reward will be in heaven. And now those who fast, it's our Father who is in secret who will give us our reward. It's not about being seen. And so the question is, talking about rewards, what is this heavenly reward that Jesus is talking about? Sometimes we think about rewards in certain ways, you know, like we have all these rewards programs and you got these little cards on your keychain and now you got to app on your phone and you can kind of benefit from these rewards programs. And if you buy this, you get that. If I spend money on this credit card, I get those points, right? 
It's kind of tit for tat. There's this equation that we start working out. And so we start thinking about our faith that way, I think. And, and so we think if we do what we're supposed to do, well, God's going to do this. If I pray the right way, I'm going to get a good parking spot today. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. If, I, if my heart towards God is right, he's going to affirm his love for me by sending me a butterfly. I'm not saying God doesn't move in even some of these most nuanced and specific ways. God's ways are higher above ours than the heavens are above the earth. I can't say exactly how God's going to reveal himself to us. But I can say I think he's concerned about a little bit more than a parking spot. I think the rewards that he's expressing are a little bit more than just earthly rewards, not suggesting there's not. Some people might say, well, maybe it's wealth. Maybe it's money. Right? Maybe God's going to bless me financially. We do see in the scripture that God may bless people financially. But it's not guaranteed that if we do what God's calling us to do, that he's going to build wealth in our lives. As a matter of fact, none of those things are clearly expressed in the scripture. But there are a few things that are. And, and, and before I give you those things, I need you to understand really what the motivation of God's reward is. God's motivation for rewarding us is one, for his glory. All throughout the scripture, the whole narrative we see, it's all for God's glory. Two, it's also for the good of his people. God does want us to experience his goodness on earth, his will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And three, it's for the advancement of his kingdom. God's always motivated by advancing his kingdom and gathering people into it. So, in relationship to rewards, with those being God's motivations, what can we confidently say is a reward from God for those who follow God in the way that he calls us to? Well, one, we could say that in Christ, we're rewarded by becoming co-heirs with Christ. We actually have an inheritance in the kingdom of God. We, we, we are being betrothed a specific inheritance that includes every heavenly blessing in the spiritual realm, according to Ephesians 1. And that's not just in the future, although it is in the future. That's even in the present. And so one of the things that, that we have that's a guaranteed reward from God in, for those who are in Christ is an inheritance in Christ. The other thing that I will point to is the approval of a father. We're rewarded with God's approval as he sees us humbly laying down our lives for the call of Christ, crucifying our flesh and passions. And, and he says, well done. Gives you that pat on the back. He affirms us. And that's something that he does in eternity. As a matter of fact, one day when we've run this race with endurance and we've finished our race well and, and, and our, our last breath is taken and we cross over into that glory that God has promised, that future hope that he has promised for those who are in Christ, one day we'll stand before him and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is the affirmation of a father. And that's a reward for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, it says, if the work anyone has built on the foundation which they built on survives, he's talking about survives that fire of judgment, where all wood, hay, and stubble will be burnt up. If anything that we've built, it finds itself in the category of surviving that judgment, then for that we'll receive a reward. It's a promise. But God's rewards are not just ultimate and eternal. God's rewards are instant and accessible. 
Like we have access to them now. As a matter of fact, you have access to the approval of the Father now. I know some of us, we've made a lot of mistakes in our lives. And we feel like maybe we've dishonored God in certain ways or maybe we've just made a bed that there's no way we can get around laying in. And, and there's, it's true, we might have consequences for our decisions. We might miss out on some things God wants us to, to experience because of the decisions we make. But can I just tell you, if you're in Christ, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And right now, even now, if you're in Christ, God sees you as the righteousness of God in Christ. And you have a fatherly affirmation on your life today as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed for the day of redemption, just like Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. If we're walking in Christ, God is pleased with you. Don't let the enemy lie and condemn you. And that's for today. Another thing that we have that's instant and accessible is closeness to God. We're talking rewards here. It's a reward that we can actually access the throne of grace. And James 4.8 says, draw near to God and God will draw near to you. We have this reward that when we fast and pray and live with a spirit of generosity, the things we've talked about over the last several weeks, that, that God, God makes space for us as we draw near to him and he reveals himself to us in our lives. Another reward is alignment with God. We want to share the heart of God. With our, we want our heart to reflect that. We want to love what God loves. God does hate a few things. We do want to hate those things. Sin. God hates sin. We want to hate the things that God hates. We'll also be rewarded with the fruit of God's character, his spirit. The fruit of the spirit is literally a gift from God. The spiritual giftings that we have, those are gifts from God. Those are rewards. And as we draw near to God, he helps develop those things in our lives, let alone an abiding rest that we get to share in his presence. This continual remaining rest that we find, this peace, this shalom that we have in Jesus as we set ourselves apart from the, the passions and desires of our flesh to draw near to the Lord. There's this abiding shalom that we get to share in. These are all rewards from God. And these heavenly rewards do follow our obedience to God. I'm not saying that God won't reward us in some ways when we miss the mark, but what I am saying is that as he calls us to obedience and we align ourselves with the call, we do find an increasing awareness of those rewards in our lives. Does that make sense? Now, because many people do expect wealth as a reward, I think Jesus understood that, being the heart of man, and he wanted to instruct us to remain devoted to him even when we've been given stewardship over wealth, but also as we pursue maybe gain in this world. And he speaks to this idea of treasures and wealth. In verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures where? In heaven. Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what our heart desires ultimately determines our direction. If we're desiring wealth building and, and that desire is not for the glory of God, for the good of God's people, and for the expansion of his kingdom, his motivations, right, then we might be making an idol out of those things. 
and it might be leading us to a trap. See, the desire for money is rooted in the desire for many different things. Some of it's mobility. I just want to be able to go where I want to go and do what I want to do. Some of it's luxury and, and just enjoyment. Man, I just, I just want a certain lifestyle. That those things are okay. But if whatever category that somebody might desire wealth or, or, or treasure money for, right, it all really boils down to two categories, security and control. I want security knowing that everything is going to be okay, and oftentimes finances make us feel that way. And we want control. I want to control my outcomes. I want to control the outcome of my day. I want to be able to go where I want to go, when I want to go there, and have nobody say nothing to me about it. I got the cash. Get out my way. <laughs> and so security and control, though, is not just a trap for the wealthy. So let's zoom out for a minute. We all have this temptation towards trying to create security and to establish control in our lives, set a pursuit of wealth aside, these are motivations of the heart. And we look for security in things that are not Jesus. And we try to take control that is supposed to only belong really to Jesus. See, it's not just a trap for some, it's a trap for all of us. And whatever it is that we pursue, it all rusts and it all fades and it can all be taken if it's not rooted and anchored in Christ. And that's why King Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes calls all of these things vanity. Vanity of vanity. And he lists all these things out. And at the end of his, his, his wisdom literature, he says, at the end of the day, man, if I've got the word of God, he says the law, if I've got the word of God, I've got what I need. Nothing else. Now, Jesus is reminding us that all of this is a matter of the heart, and he dives even deeper than talking about just laying up treasures on earth or in heaven. In verse 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. Now, the Hebrew culture would have understood the eye as the eye of the heart, not like your eyeball, but like, you know, how your heart views life. And we know that out of the heart flows all issues of life, according to the scriptures. And he shows there's two things, two, two ways that the eye of the heart can go. If your eye is healthy, in other words, if it's good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is bad, that word actually is another word for evil, your whole body will be full of darkness. And so we can have a good eye of the heart and we'll have clear vision for what God is calling us to. We'll serve God with pure motives. We'll pray. We'll fast. We'll live generously. We'll, we'll do the works that God's called us to with, with a pure heart. And it's healthy. And what healthy, that word kind of means in, in, in the original text here, it's uh, single-minded. It means single-minded. I'm, I'm a one-track mind. My affections, my desires, they're all set on what? It better be the things above if you're going to be healthy. It better be set on heaven, the kingdom, on Jesus if you're going to be healthy. But the bad eye or the evil eye, anybody ever get the stink eye? The evil eye. Not that eye. It's this evil eye of the heart, right? The stink eye might come out of that. <laughs> But this evil eye of the heart gives us blurry vision for life, an improper perspective, and impure motives. It's an unhealthy mind. That word unhealthy meaning double-minded. Double-mindedness, where we're oriented less towards God than we are to the world. And maybe there's a little bit of God in it, but there's a little bit of the world in it. It's one foot in and one foot out. We're straddling the fence. We're double-minded and self-centered. 
And James 1.8 says that the double-minded person is unstable in all their ways and shouldn't expect to receive anything from God. So Jesus is trying to help us understand this next level of thought around what it means to walk in the kingdom of God as sons and daughters, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ. And he says, don't be double-minded, be single-minded. But then he continues in the second part of verse 23. He says, if then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now that's a confusing phrase right there. The way that I understand this after much deliberation, I mean, we went back and forth on this one for a while. And, and it seems as though Jesus is really offering this, if then the light in you is darkness, if the light, the light, it's almost like a sarcastic, yeah, if that light, if you want to call it that, that's in you is actually darkness, the way that you view it is light, but it's clearly darkness, if that light that's in you is actually darkness, and I think this is a loving warning as well, not just sarcastic, how great is that darkness in your heart? You are deceived. I think his heart's broken over that, because I know Jesus has a heart of compassion for those that are deceived, that are lost, that the enemy has sifted. You know, we have leadership all over our world that thinks that they're walking in the light. And you can see the fruit of their lives. It's not light. It's darkness. How great is the deception. And so we like to look at our leaders a lot of times. But you know what? There's people all over the church. There's people all over the church, not just this church. This church is really, really healthy. But all over the church, all throughout the world, there are people that think they're walking in the light, that are actually walking in darkness, and the deception is so extraordinary. And that deception distorts truth, and it separates us from God, our Father in heaven. And in verse 24, this is where Jesus kind of lands in this section, he says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted, talking about a heart of devotion here, to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And he does tie it back to money. But it's not just money, it's mammon, the spirit of mammon. It's want for the world. It's want for worldly things, these desires that are insatiable, that are outside of what God desires for us. This heart of devotion that we're called to is critical because Jesus is speaking to a deep, profound need that we have. We are all tempted towards sin. And this sin nature gives us this tendency to make idols out of things, and those idols then compete for the throne of our heart and where Christ wants to rule and reign on the throne of our heart, we have these other idols in our lives, whatever it is. Whatever it is that's captured our hearts, that's captivated our minds. And they're competing for our devotion to God. And the scripture says, choose this day whom you will serve. And you cannot serve two masters. This brings us to our conclusion for today. Are you serving Jesus the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who taught this sermon, the one who said these things, the one who went on the cross at Calvary, 
who was a pure and perfect and spotless sacrifice that was able to pay for the sin of mankind and that all he would ask for us is to put our trust in his finished and perfect work on the cross and that we would share then in the resurrection that he experienced in our own lives. We die with Christ and we live then with Christ. Do we place our trust in that? Is that the God who we're serving, that Jesus? Or are we serving some other God, some other master in our lives? Is our heart divided? Are we double-minded? These are important questions to ask and to ask God, God, search out the motivations of my heart. Be there anything in them that is unpleasing or even wicked? God, would you deal with those things? And lead me into truth and righteousness. Come on, will you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you so much. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for your word that is alive and active. I pray that this word, your holy scriptures that we just explored, Lord, God, that it would bear fruit in the hearts and minds of every person in this room, believers, and if there be any unbeliever alike, Lord, that it would produce conviction, that it would lead to inspiration, that it would lead to a heart of devotion for Jesus, the only one in all the earth who is worthy of our devotion. God, in this place today, for anyone who has never put their faith in this Jesus, in this King of Kings, in this Lord of Lords, I pray that by your grace, in your sovereignty, and your willingness to provide that which we need most, God, that for that person in here who's never trusted Jesus, that you would provide the grace that they need today and the faith that they need to believe you for who you are and what you're calling them to. If you're in this room right now and that's you, you say, I don't know that I've ever actually trusted Jesus as King, as Lord, or as Savior. It's very simple. God may be stirring in you right now, not just a heart of devotion, but a heart of surrender. He's calling you to surrender your life, to lay down your life at the feet of Jesus and say, take it all. If that's you in this room right now, would you just quiet your heart before God with no one looking around, with no one paying attention to you? This isn't a work that, that is intended to be seen by others. This is a private matter between you and God. We may celebrate it here in just a little while as a, as a faith family, but right now God is speaking to your heart and he's calling you home. He's saying, come home. I forgive you. I release you of any debt you ever had. And I want you to live in freedom. If you feel like that's what God's speaking to you right now, just say, I surrender to that right now, Jesus. And I believe you in Jesus' name. For all of us in this place today, Father, we do want to grow in a heart of devotion for those that just surrendered their lives before you. And for all of us, whether we've been walking with you for years, for months, for weeks, for day, whatever it is, Lord. God, we just want to have hearts of devotion. We want, we want you to magnify yourself in our lives. We want you to be lifted up on the throne that is in our hearts, Lord. We want you, the one who is worthy, to have all of our praise and have all of our worship. Teach us to crucify the desires of our flesh. Teach us to, to abstain from those things that have caused us to be distracted from you and that we will retreat from that and run to you. And, Lord, that you would draw near to us as we do. 
God, we thank you for your faithfulness in this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.